As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. Hey, y'all. We are back with another episode. And today we are, we're not calling it a part two, (laughs) but um, we have Lindsay Kite back on the podcast who was here last week because it was just such a powerful episode. And we had posted asking you guys, like, what are your body image questions? And we didn't get to all of them in that episode from last week where she kind of defined their like body image resilience model and how they, you know, focus on your beauty, not being your life's work and what a healthy body image actually looks like. So that episode is really like defining their research. And today we wanted to incorporate you guys and some of the questions you had for uh, Dr. Lindsay Kite. Again, her and her twin sister, Dr. Lexi Kite are the authors of the book, More Than a Body. And they have been researching body image, resilience, and media literacy for over a decade. And we're so excited to continue the conversation with Lindsay today because we got such good questions from you guys. So before we dive into the questions, I want to highlight a listener review. This is from West Coast RD. (laughs) Shout out to the the dietitians on the West Coast. Not the best coast, but Ah! um, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Tupac would disagree. They say, uh, first of all, Tupac, did you know that he went to, I believe, high school in the Bronx? Did he? Well, I know that he went to school in uh, Marin also. No, 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 no. No, that's a lie. He went to high school in Baltimore, but I think he went to middle school in the Bronx, either the Bronx or Harlem. Uptown. But listen, he claims this. So we're going to claim si- him no, 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 a little he bit. He claims this, this <laughs> side. Let's keep that. Moving along. <laughs> So the review, Um, I discovered this podcast recently and I'm sad I didn't know about it sooner. As a fellow RD, I love their perspective on health at every size, intuitive eating, social justice, and actual wellness. The guests and the subjects they explore are all equally important and interesting. Though I love the impact nutrition can have on one's well-being, there's so many other components to good health and they explore it all. I'm so happy these two are representing the field of dietetics. Thank you. That's so sweet, West Coast RD. <laughs> Let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, on to today's episode. So, we are going to be covering a lot from selfies to self-objectification to frustrations about being in our bodies and all that comes with that, especially being a woman and experiencing things like PMS, bloating. We're going to be touching on trans people's experience in their body and how self-objectification ties into that experience. 
And then we end the episode talking about how to work towards body acceptance when you've never been happy in your body or you've always wanted to change it. So really deep topics. It was very moving for us to talk with her about this stuff. A lot of stuff was just coming out of us. I got emotional on this episode. (laughs) Just a warning. (laughs) Yes, but such a gem. And, you know, sometimes you just got to go there. It's right. It's good for the heart. So we hope you enjoy it and we're going to jump in. So we got tons of questions from when Jess posted about your book. There was one question on selfies. So someone said that they kind of enjoy self-objectification. So they take lots of selfies and they it's not like for posting or anything. They just do it like for their own purposes. And I want to talk about that because I feel like it could be a little tricky. Like I get how that could help someone feel good because I've been there. But then also like I can also see the ways that it can backfire if you're like deleting, you know, 90 percent of the selfies that you're taking and just kind of like leaving some in there. So what are your thoughts about that like self-objectification when it comes to selfies and kind of like how it could go real right and it can go real wrong yeah good question because it is complex and really if you think about it it makes perfectly logical sense that we would associate building our confidence and feeling empowered with looking hot in the photos on our phone even if we don't share them anywhere you might scroll through and be like oh wow i do look good like this when i'm feeling down go look back at these photos that i think are so great But I want to make a distinction between just taking selfies for confidence and empowerment and thinking you look hot for confidence and empowerment because you're taking selfies and you might say that that's all in an attempt to like boost your confidence, but you're deleting all the ones where you don't think you look hot. It's not like you're just appreciating your body, your face, your appearance or whatever. You're judging and evaluating every inch, every centimeter of those pictures. And it's usually the ones where you've got the angles, the makeup, the filters, everything on point. And that's when you're like, wow, yeah, I look good. Like this, this I can share. And that is not necessarily really empowering. What people are experiencing there, and like I've experienced as well, is a very temporary boost of feeling like you look good. And in our culture, that translates into being worthy, being valuable, worthy of love, acceptance, all of the things that we want in this world. We obviously want those things, but that is not sustainable. And that's where the real problem lies. Like the problem isn't just in self-objectifying and looking at too many pictures of your face, spending too much time looking at it. Like that is a problem because in this culture that values beauty and appearance that only looks one specific way, you might be able to get your face to look that way and feel good in that moment. But in the next moment, you might feel terrible because you see the another angle that someone might be looking at you you compare yourself to somebody else's image that has like a a skin tone that you prefer or any other of a hundred different variables so i just don't want to play by those rules anymore i don't want everyone to think that the way that you gain value and confidence in this society is to look hot in pictures for yourself or for anyone else because that confidence and empowerment we should feel but it should come from sources that are lasting I like to say, if, if we let beauty make us and build us up, then beauty can break us too. You're not always going to feel beautiful, especially in this culture that has such a ridiculous standard of what beauty is. And I don't want us to play by these rules that say looking good is the key to happiness and success. Because in reality, 
feeling good is what leads to happiness and success and experiencing the world for yourself, not just the way the world experiences your body. So I just want people to be really critical of that feeling of empowerment. Is it really empowering or is this just a temporary feeling of looking hot and hoping other people also see you the way you're seeing yourself in these pictures and hoping that translates into all the good things that you want in your life? Yes. Uh, That's me snapping. (laughs) I love you guys. (laughs) I have a new toothbrush and I want to talk about it because I'm obsessed. So the toothbrush is called Bruch, which is spelled B-R-U-U-S-H. And my teeth, y'all, for not having gone to the dentist in a year because of COVID TMI, like they are sparkling white. They are smooth. I don't see any redness, nothing in the gums. And I think it is in part because of this toothbrush. This is what I love most about it. (laughs) And it might be weird. The thing I like about Bruch is it's brushing very thoroughly, but it's a soft vibration in your mouth. They also have six unique modes that you're able to customize to your brushing experience. And for people who never remember to charge anything, there's a four-week battery life. Also, there's a subscription program, so you never have to change your brush head again. Bruce ships you a new replacement head every six months, so you're never stuck with that worn down brush head, which is something that also would happen to me all the time with my old electric toothbrush. It would always be kind of a mess. Y'all know we have the hookup code. You can get 15% off your Bruce toothbrush kit and refill plan when you choose the code foodheaven at bruce.com. That's B-R-U-U-S-H.com and you will get 15% off when you use our code foodheaven. Let's get on to the episode. Okay, here I'm adding this question because it's not on the list, but it comes up in every <laughs> single client that I work with. And it's about a body part that I have noticed for women, there's so much shame and pain, and that is the stomach. So I think that a lot of the client, I know a lot of clients that I work with have this perception, right? That like they should have this flat stomach and that they cannot come to terms with them having a more round belly, like something is wrong with them. And it's always like, whenever I ask people like, what what parts about your body bring you the most pain? It is always people have something negative to say about their stomach. And even me, like I have gotten comments and a lot of my clients, same thing, like where people may see more of a round belly or see your round belly and assume that you're pregnant and make comments about that. And for a lot of people, they don't want to hear like, are you pregnant? If they're not actually pregnant. Like I remember for me, I was seeing my eyebrow lady and um, who I haven't seen in a year. (laughs) That's a whole nother story. And she asked, was I expecting? And I was like, no, why would you ask that? And she said, oh, because you just look like you are. And so I, I think many women can relate getting, you know, these kind of comments. And I'm just want to hear your thoughts on this idea that round bellies are inherently negative. Mm -hmm. Good question. Number one, where did we get those ideas? that women's stomachs need to be flat. Where do they get the ideas of what normal looks like? We got it from cultural messages, from media messages that only literally showed us one way to have a stomach as a woman. So almost all of the images we grew up with that shaped these core beliefs 
about bodies in our own lives, they all had flat stomachs. Every single woman we ever saw on a magazine, in a magazine, on a billboard, in a TV show, in a commercial, in a movie, they had flat stomachs unless they were pregnant, unless they were the villain or the joke or like the best friend who got to be funny, but didn't get to be cool or have love in her life. And so we have all internalized this idea that stomachs that are healthy and normal and acceptable are flat. And what we need to do first is to challenge that perception because that's where all of this shame comes from. In reality, stomachs, especially women's stomachs, are not flat because of the way puberty changes us, because of the way our fat sits, the way our hormones change the ways our bodies are proportioned. It is the most normal thing in the world to have a round belly, especially below the belly button. Like that's where your uterus is. That's where women carry all of that weight that leads to healthy reproductive lives. And so number one, we've got to question that feeling and that perception that stomachs need to be flat. And we need to be mad at that. We need to be mad at the ideas that have told us that your body is not worthy, that it's gross, that it's embarrassing if it doesn't look that way. And that little bit of righteous anger can fuel you forward to be able to challenge the shame that comes up when you feel that and when someone else makes a comment about it. And I think it's also important to introduce, like in that awareness of how ridiculous it is that we think all stomachs need to be flat because they're just absolutely not, we need to maybe introduce a little bit of humor in the way we respond to other people. Because so many of us have had that experience of someone saying like, oh, are you pregnant? Or like, I've done it to somebody else. It will haunt me for the rest of my life. Like 15 years ago, I went up to a friend and touched her stomach. I hadn't seen her in years because I thought she was pregnant and she had been trying to get pregnant, but she wasn't. And that kind of stuff, so many of us have experiences with, then it can bring up a lot of shame. So when we respond to people like that, like your eyebrow lady, I might say, oh no, I'm not pregnant. And you know, thank goodness for that. But also like, you know, women's stomachs aren't just always flat, right? (laughs) Like I would kind of challenge people by maybe making them feel a little bit foolish for projecting that Mm. expectation that stomachs need to be flat. So they're just not going to be. Um, The other part of your question about body positivity and still kind of recreating these same beauty ideals and expectations that so much of like mainstream media has done our entire lives. I think we talked about that on our our podcast episode, our previous one. And that is very much a concern in the body positivity community because it, it's true. The women, it's not just that there aren't people that exist in the body positivity world that have all different body types and shapes that carry more weight in their stomachs and that, that aren't necessarily hourglass or just like the traditional perfect Kirby without cellulite, without stretch marks, without all the other things we've been taught are wrong. It's that they don't get the love. They don't get the attention because the majority of the people who are on the internet, they might think that they're there under the guise of, you know, celebrating all bodies and body diversity is amazing, but really they are appreciating the ones that reflect the beauty ideals we've been taught are right and normal and good our whole lives, just in an expanded range of sizes. It's like baby steps that people take where they're like, okay, it's true. You don't have to be skinny to be acceptable to be healthy, to be normal, but um, that body type still makes me feel comfortable. So if I can go out and like and share and validate these white women with hourglass shapes or pear shapes or whatever category you want to put people in, then that's a little more um, comfortable to a lot of people to be able to accept that as opposed to the shapes that have been a bit more vilified 
and shown to be less desirable, less sexually appealing and all of that. So it's a huge issue. And I think part of the problem is that we are upholding beauty as still this most important factor. And it's hard to completely destroy people's ideas about what is beautiful and sexually desirable. And body positivity hasn't necessarily cracked that because this is still reinforcing self-objectification. I love that you said that because someone left a comment expressing frustration with the body positivity movement and how there is such a strong emphasis on what beautiful is and redefining and self-objectification and how that kind of takes away from body respect or body neutrality. And so, yeah, I love that you just spoke about all of that. And then someone actually asked a question related to what you were just talking about. So with like having a stomach specifically, let's say related to like bloating or if someone has a condition like IBS or PMS, which, you know, happens to a lot of women every month, like something that they experience regularly and they just don't feel great physically in their body. And that might be related to like, having this like larger stomach that can lead directly to body image issues. Of course, like health conditions that change your body shape, your experience in your body. There are so many disabilities and injuries that put people on the sidelines. So you can't be as active as you want to be. You can't eat the range of foods that you want to be able to eat. And that can change your body in ways that push it even further from the beauty ideals like bloating, things like that, puffiness, water retention, as you said, PMS does all that same stuff too. Just such a sick joke that so many women have to join <laughs> our, <laughs> our lives. Yeah, I know. And so I think the first thing there is to like, you don't have to pretend like everything's amazing. You don't have to pretend like my body is incredible and I love it so much regardless of the ways that it has disappointed me or whatever. I think let's just be straight yeah. up, recognize our humanity in knowing that if you've got a chronic illness, if you've got a disability, an injury, anything that is really legitimately limiting your quality of life and the way that you appreciate your body, acknowledge that like to yourself. I want you to acknowledge the pain that you've experienced, the ways your body has disappointed you. It hasn't been the instrument that you've hoped for. And that can be really painful. And don't pretend like that doesn't cause you issues and contribute to body image issues. But I think at the same time, we need to be able to practice gratitude for even the unexpected things that are still a positive thing in our bodies, not necessarily on our bodies to look at, but the ways our body allows us to live. So if you're able to ask that question, it means you're probably breathing. You probably have some use of your body. There are some things to be grateful for in the instrumentality of your body. So whether that is the ability to fill your lungs with air, which is actually an incredible gift in a worldwide pandemic that limits that ability, maybe it's the ability to, to walk, to uh, lift any amount of weight. A lot of people don't have that ability. It could be just your physical senses. Even if you're in pain, you still likely have the physical sense of being able to see, to touch, to smell, to feel. And so being able to take inventory of those things that your body does allow you to do, even what it has allowed you to do in the past, the experiences you're able to gain in this same body, I think is really important. So that sounds a little bit, you know, easy. It sounds easy to just practice gratitude, but it is something that in research is shown to make an actual difference 
in the way you can go about your life and perceive your body. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think also like when we get sick, it's, it's almost like that's when we have the most appreciation for our bodies when yep. they're not functioning optimally. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking like when I get a UTI or like the times that I've broken something, I'm like, oh my God, I almost forgot that I had this toe yes. that like does so much for me. And you just oh, take so it true. for granted, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes like, especially with the PMS conversation, it's important to zoom out and look at the bigger picture there too, because it's like, maybe you're someone who really doesn't want to be pregnant right now. And if you're menstruating, that means you did not get pregnant this month and we should express gratitude for this. Mm. If you're someone who wants to be (laughs) pregnant and you're menstruating, then at least your body has the functionality to be able to, you know, drop that egg. And (laughs) you're likely having the the functionality to be able to get pregnant in the future potentially. And so we should be able to be grateful for those functions as much trouble as they cause us. Yeah. No, I'm so happy you addressed that because I remember I had chronic headaches that were like basically debilitating. It was like the worst period of my life and nobody really knew what was going on. And I feel like people just were at a loss because it was a chronic pain that you couldn't see. And um, I felt like very trapped in my body and like very let down. And I remember I went to like, I I didn't really do much, but I remember like one day I went to this um, people color meditation and the instructor, I, I asked the instructor, I was like, well, um, you know, this is all great and all, but like, how does, how do you deal with, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Let it out. You're good. Oh my God. This is like, whoa. I know. It's probably going to make Yeah, we're like, I mean, this is like deep shit that we're talking about, (laughs) especially as women, because I think that Jess and I was just talking about this. Like, we just don't feel validated with a lot of these providers in our experience, you know? Amen. Wow. I I didn't expect that because it's like just like, yeah, like revisiting, revisiting like, yes, some of the trauma that that can come with with like dealing with body stuff and. And like, anyway, the instructor said, like, he just didn't know. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, and, and that was really like typical because I'm like, well, am I doing things wrong? And so just to like, yeah, to have you like, (laughs) kind of like say like, like validate, like, yeah, you know, it it can feel crappy. Oh my God. (laughs) That it can feel like crappy in your body sometimes. And, um, and that's okay. Yep. And then also like there potentially are other things that like, it's still, doing for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're still, you're still alive. I think that's a really powerful thing to think through all of the different things that we've been through in these bodies, whether Mm -hmm. negative or positive, because we're still here. You know, we're still sitting here. We've survived a lot. A lot of people have survived a lot more than I have. And that makes me feel doubly grateful, but also having this awareness that women go through a lot Mm -hmm. and not to say that men or non-binary people, but that women by default in this objectifying culture that places so much value on our bodies, where so much of our own value we've been taught comes from that and lives there and resides there, our acceptance, our value, to have that challenged and to have those bodies be a source of pain and difficulty, I think just doubles down on how disappointing that is. And acknowledging it and being able to say out loud that I've suffered in this body and yet I'm still here and I can go through a lot and I will continue to go through a lot and be okay. I think that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think especially for women, there's so much, there's like a push for normalizing pain 
on every level, like whether it's headaches or whether it's like stuff related to like our, you know, female organs, like literally everything is like, no, you just have to take it. (laughs) And and like there's just such a lack of understanding, too, of like what is actually happening, you know, like in terms Mm -hmm. of like when you, you know, go to all these different providers and stuff and you try to just seek some kind of clarity around these things. It's like. You know, I just feel like as women, we it's a huge challenge, just like feeling seen when it comes to the physical pain that we go through. And definitely I'm happy that we touched on that because I do feel like it's something that most women experience, you know, and it's just like this shit is like hardcore. It's like not, you know, like different types of, you know, conditions. I mean, maybe for some women it's like you know they go through life and they they don't go through that these really you know I know it affects some women more than others but some of these conditions are like super debilitating like just said with the headaches or like you know I just feel like we're just susceptible to like so many things and just taught to deal with it because they're yeah. less studied and they're less understood exactly. than any issue that men in general would deal with right Ugh. yeah and we're just like written off and I think that's what can make like the body acceptance and all that even more complex like you said for women and it's like I just that's why I really resonated with your book because it had so many layers to it it wasn't just like accept your body love your body like no like sometimes you do feel betrayed by your body and that needs to be talked about yeah in this conversation yeah we got to be realistic about it it's a Mm -hmm. a hard way to live and to grow up and especially in a culture that isn't it doesn't even allow us to be unconditionally accepting of our bodies. There's right. always these, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a house where thinness was very much valued and so many of us did. And that is just one example of the ways that we grow up feeling like our love, even for ourselves is conditional. It's conditional on looking a certain way, feeling a certain way, being able to do a certain thing. And when that doesn't happen or it's taken away from us by outside circumstances, then it makes it even more difficult. So we can't just be surfacey about this and say, love your body. Your body right. is amazing, perfect yeah. and beautiful. <laughs> no, it's way deeper than that. And that's why the body's right. resilience model, I think is yeah. important because we will continue to face difficulties in these bodies. Mm. And yet we still have to keep going and we have to keep going in healthy and empowering ways. This week, our sponsor is Hello Wellness. It's a new line of functional wellness smoothies that support your well-being with energy, brain support, and gut health. Let me break that down a little bit. So they have the It's No Brainer smoothie, and every scoop of that supports brain health with 32 milligrams of omega-3 DHA from plant-based marine algae. So it doesn't have any fish oil, if you're worried about that weird fish oil aftertaste. They also have the You've Got Gut smoothie, and every scoop of that has 5 grams of prebiotic fiber and 2 billion CFUs of probiotics to help promote a healthy gut. And then the last one that they have, Spring Into Your Step, has 100 milligrams of caffeine from organic coffee fruit extract, which helps you feel alert and energized throughout the day. They provide functional wellness that's tailored to your needs, so brain health, gut health, and energy support. And each scoop has 15 grams of protein. So depending on what you're looking for, Hello Wellness offers some great options. And my favorite part is that all you have to do is take a scoop and mix it with your favorite milk. And you don't even have to use a blender. You just shake it up and it's ready to go. You can find these at myvega.com, M-Y-V-E-G-A.com. Or you can also go on Amazon and Whole Foods Market. They have it there as well. All right. So we are going to hop back in. 
Okay. This person says, is a thin person struggling with body acceptance? What are ways to express body positivity without co-opting the movement? Well, but a nice question to begin with from somebody who is obviously aware of the complications and the harms of thin people co-opting the movement because it started for fat people. It started as a way for fat people to be able to take back their humanity, the right to take up space, regardless of whether you know they're perfectly healthy or they're doing all the right things to be able to change their bodies and lose weight or whatever. The fact of life is that some people are bigger than others and some people always will be. And we cannot be judging that. And we cannot be looking down on people of diverse you know, range of shapes and sizes. That doesn't mean thin people don't struggle just as much with body image as fat people do. That's one of the important things in our work. And we go over that in more than a body because in this world that prizes beauty and, you know, looking hot above all else, then sometimes it's actually the people who are closest to the beauty ideals that feel the furthest away. It sounds ridiculous because other people, people who have always been fat, people who are, have too dark of skin to be close to the ideals or the wrong hair texture or whatever to fit in with our society's ideals, they've always been able to be a little further away. The expectation isn't there from every single angle that their value has to come from looking as hot as possible. Whereas someone who is traditionally more beautiful, more accepted by society's standards, they've probably always gotten quite a bit of their self-worth, their confidence and their acceptance from living up to that. They've probably gotten it from their own families and parents, from men, from strangers, from whoever. We've all learned to value that in our lives. And so I don't want to ever take away from the fact that thin people absolutely struggle in this culture that objectifies women's bodies. And they struggle because of that objectification. But body positivity was designed to be able to give a platform to people whose bodies look differently. Yes, we want everybody to be able to feel good about their body, but this is designed specifically for the people who are most marginalized, the people who have the least visibility to be able to see anyone who looks like them. And so a thin person, the best thing they can do is amplify those voices to recognize the ways that fat phobia, this kind of subconscious disgust, sometimes conscious disgust toward fatness, fat people, shows up in the ways we think about our own bodies. And that's why you're embarrassed when a skinny person hunches over and you see those belly rolls because that reminds you of what a fat person looks like. And when you post that on the internet and say, oh, I'm so brave for posting my little tiny belly rolls. And like, I'm so embarrassed, but you guys, isn't this incredible that I'm doing this? That's when this movement for body positivity is being co-opted by people who need it, but the visibility of it doesn't need to be there. You can see lots of people whose body looks like yours, but much larger people can't. And so we need to elevate those voices. If you're all about trying to expand the definition of beauty and the visibility of all kinds of different body types and shapes and sizes, then do that. Don't share your body. Share someone else's body, you know? That's not, it's kind of a, a surface level way that does, again, reinforce self-objectification and this feeling like appearance is so important and beauty is the number one thing for women. But as a thin person, please be especially cautious of the way that sharing images of your own body, even contorted in ways that you see as less than flattering, doesn't really serve the movement. What you want to do is elevate other voices, other images that can actually break that mold. 
Yes. Yeah. We've spoken about that on the podcast because the the whole like hunching over and like with the fake roles and stuff, it's like, just <laughs> stop it, please. Oh, celebrities right. keep doing it. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so not relatable. Oh, my gosh. It's ridiculous. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. So the next question, do you have any experience with trans people's experience with self-objectification? Someone said that this is something that has particularly affected them as a trans person and they wanted to learn more. Yes, love that question. So my particular research is on um, women who identify as women. We didn't ask whether anyone was transgender. But what I do know from even later research is that the research on objectification absolutely holds up for trans women. And that is because of this culture that we live in that says women need to look one way. So regardless of your gender identity when you were born or the sex that you were labeled as, someone who identifies as female is being held to female standards of beauty. And it's complicated even more for trans people because when your gender identity doesn't correlate with the way that you're outwardly expressing your gender or the way you're showing up in the world, then that makes it even more tricky because that self-objectification is probably going to be furthered even more. So somebody who is acutely aware of how the way that they look doesn't match up with the way that they feel, they're going to be monitoring their body just as much as someone who is you know, so disgusted with their size. And so they're constantly thinking about how they look. Of course, this has even bigger implications for trans people because they're at much greater risk of violence for not, you know, fitting it in with gender expectations and ideals. But the research here is important because it shows that objectification really does predict the negative outcomes that trans women experience in the world. And it's the same negative outcomes that women, you know, self-identified as women and born into female-identified bodies experience. It's self-objectification. It's shame. It's disordered eating and the ways that we act out on that shame through self-harm, through cosmetic surgery. And trans people are getting illegal and unhealthy cosmetic surgery and silicone injections in order to look like women are supposed to look in our culture. So trans people, this is very much a conversation that needs to be had and understood by people who are trans and who love trans people. And we all need to be aware of that. And I think it's just really important to note that people presenting as female in this world are at the same risks, whether other people perceive you as female or not. And trans men experience similar things as well, because you're trying to fit into uh, cultural stereotypes of what it looks like to be a man while having features that are stereotyped as female. And I think we need to have a lot of compassion for people who are trans and trans people need to be able to learn how to have extreme self-compassion to be able to acknowledge that pain and all of the disappointment and difficulties that can come from living in a body that doesn't look how you think it should and how the world thinks it should. And learning to value yourself as more than a body is more crucial than ever for people who are struggling within their own bodies. I love that answer. And it, yeah, it's so complex. And I think we need to understand all the different layers involved with like um, different folks' identities and how that affects our body image. Yeah. So the last question that we have, I, I moved this one to the last because I feel like it probably applies to so many people and it's a good like closing question. 
So how do you, the person says, how do you even start accepting your body when you've always wanted to change it? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. When people start in this body image stuff, that's usually the main question that they have because people who get interested in body image do so because they have been ashamed of their bodies or they know and love someone who is. So I just want to express a lot of love and compassion for all the people who have always felt like their bodies are wrong and they need to change. And that's probably all of us in some way. What I want that person to know is that you're not unique in your pain, in your disappointment. You're not unique in your guilt for getting into this body image stuff and wanting so badly to love your body without any, without any conditions on it, but instead still feeling like you need to change. And that is just the very rational result of living in a culture that values thinness, that values beauty, that looks one way over anything else. And so almost all of us have this subconscious or conscious desire to change our bodies. So I want you to feel a lot of compassion to know that you're not alone in that. And it is just the logical extension of this world that we've all grown up in, regardless of how much work you do on the inside. So all of that is okay. It's okay to want to change. But when people say change, generally, I think they mean lose weight. For most of us, that's kind of the common denominator. So when someone feels like they want to lose weight, I ask them why. What is it that you want? What do you want to experience to change What do you think is going to change in your life once you lose weight? And then I want you to know that that might not change. You might not get the love that you deserve. You might not improve your health in all of the ways that you want. You might not have whatever dreams are attached to your dream body. And you need the opportunity to mourn that because that's a disappointing thing to be able to, it shows up as kind of a feeling of a lack of control because we feel like we're in control of our hopes and our dreams because they're just on the other side of our self-discipline with food. They're just on the other side of that cleanse for a month or whatever it is and our dedication to the Peloton for the next six weeks. But we don't really have that control because you can see that people who look perfect and do all the right things don't necessarily have all the best things in the world, regardless of what their social media profiles show. So let's just get real about that. And then when you get some other answers about what you want, maybe you want to improve your health okay, that's what everyone's going to say when they say they want to lose weight. How can you actually improve your health? By improving what you're able to do, by improving the way you're able to move throughout the world and experience it. What do you want to be able to do? Not what do you want to be able to look like? Do you want to be able to walk up 10 flights of stairs without being super winded? I do. (laughs) That's a better motivator to me than I want to lose 10 pounds or whatever. So I want you to set goals that are related to what you want to do, what you want to feel while you're doing it, not how you want to look. Because the real benefits and rewards of improving your health to the extent that we have control over it, which it's a lot of it is out of our hands, then I want you to focus on those things, what you can do, what, what actually improves your confidence. And it's not going to be just how you look because that can be taken away as quickly as it's given. You know, that validation from other people. I want you to define confidence, empowerment, and health on your terms, really individual terms. And so those changes that you want to make to your body, they're probably in service of trying to get to those positive health outcomes and happiness and confidence outcomes. But I want you to take a more direct route to those things. The indirect route is to say, I want to lose weight because losing weight is going to get me those things. I want you to skip. You're saying A is right now, B is once I you know, losing weight and C is happiness, success, desirability, whatever. I want you to cut out B and just go straight to C. 
What is your direct route to be able to get what you want? It's probably in an easier, more attainable and achievable way than focusing on the weight loss thing, because that's probably not going to happen for most people. And if it does happen, you're not going to be able to keep it off. And so that's a, a lifetime of disappointment for so many of us. What yeah. we need to do is just focus on what we really want and then focus on getting there. Yeah. Mm. I think it's also useful to reflect on past experiences trying to change your body because right. that could be very telling just like how have you felt when you try to go about this, you know, like all of the things that you have wanted, whether it's like to feel accepted or loved or validated, did that come? Because for a lot of people that we've worked with, that's a very painful process where that that doesn't come. And it's like just like the ongoing search for something that you've never really had and that you've tried time and time again to do, you know. Oh, I love that point. I actually go into, uh, sorry to take too much time, but I go no. into that in my, a little bit. You're fine. <laughs> so in the book, I get kind of personal about that because it is absolutely crucial to look back into your own history and see the attempts that you've made. And maybe you were successful at reaching the weight goal or what fixing your appearance in whatever way. And what really were the outcomes? Did it lead to exactly what you thought it would? For me, it absolutely did not. I grew up in a household where I was always trying to lose weight, where I always felt like my body is wrong. And so by the time I got to college and I had full control over how I spent my time and what food I bought and all of that, then, you know, I was 19 summer after my freshman year of college. And I just fully delved into extreme restriction, like such disordered eating and just, you know, exercising as much as I possibly could. I got to my lowest weight ever, totally reached my goal weight. And yet I have this journal entry where from that year, it's in the book. I wrote down that I had gone home to my parents' house for Christmas break and that I tried on an old pair of pants because I had lost a bunch of weight. And I tried on this old pair of pants and it they were huge. And I wrote in my journal, it's so strange because I've lost all this weight and I've gotten so many compliments and all of that should feel really good and I should be able to be happy right now. But instead, I remember how happy and confident I was when I was wearing those jeans this mm. one day in high school and feeling like, I just felt great. And I, I even liked the way I looked. I felt confident and comfortable in my body in every way, internal and external. Back on that day in high school, wearing those jeans that I then described as unbelievably huge on me now. And so that confidence, the love that I wanted did not come from losing weight. I was lonelier than I had ever been when I was isolated and fully focused on weight loss. It did not improve my life in any way. And what did improve my life was learning to expand my value outside of my weight so I could focus on all of the other awesome things about me. Thanks for sharing I that. Love, yeah. Oh, thanks. Guys. I love that story. This was so great. You need to just come on every week and talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really enjoying this too. So <laughs> thank you. Honestly, like, this is so good. I'm like, do you do one-on-one? -on -one? Like, do, okay. For people who are like, yes, they love everything about like what you're talking about. Well, first get the book <laughs> yeah. it's called more than a body. But in addition to that, like what, where else can people find you? Where can they work yeah. with you? Good question. In the future, someday, I hope to be able to do more like personal consulting. I'm not a therapist. I don't claim to have that, you know, solid mental health training, but I do enjoy talking to people about this stuff and kind of advising in ways that a traditional therapist sometimes isn't really as well-versed in. But for now, 
it's absolutely the book more than a body. It's on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined. It's our website, morethanabody.org. We offer an online course at morethanabody.org and body image resilience. And the next step is hopefully a workbook that goes along Mm. with our book so that that. we can walk people through more daily steps for practicing this stuff. I feel like that's where we get into the more personalized aspects of it because people can apply it to their own lives in a little more functional, easy way. So that's what's next. Mm. You should also do, I'm just like, I always am giving like (laughs) no please (laughs) unsolicited advice, like a um, training for healthcare providers. Mm. Yes. Yes. So our online course- our online course, we have a facilitator program. And so oh. we basically allow registered dietitians and therapists, licensed therapists to use our program with their clients. And so the clients go through it individually at home and then they meet one-on-one with their provider or with a group to be able to work through it. And so that's just kind of a really limited way right now that um, people can work awesome. with an expert through our stuff. But yeah, we, um, through the workbook, we would like to provide a guide for um, professionals, therapists, and coaches, and all that as well. That's great. Love it. That's great. Well, thanks. Well, thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, Lindsay, this is great. Thank you. I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.